Hello, and it's time to step in the Pantheon. I am your host, Matthew Holding. This is a podcast about television shows, how much I love them, how much you love them, how much we loathe them, and what we think about them. If you're listening to this, you might have listened to the first episode. I got to say thank you for all the kind uh, responses and comments that people have been giving me. It's like... uh, Made me really over the moon, actually, so thanks a lot for that. Keep them coming in. If you want, you can like the page in the Pantheon on Facebook. You can subscribe or review us on iTunes. That'd be great, because that would basically propel me on my way to Ira Glass, Bill Simmons' level of podcast uh, Empire Stardom, so that'd be really cool. Today, we're going to be talking about two shows that are both very dear to my heart. One thing I love about television shows is location as a centrality and location, geographical location, as a sense of meaning and purpose and theme behind the show. And two of these shows today have very specific locations which are central to, I guess, the idea of the show. I'm talking about the sunny suburbs of Los Angeles with Six Feet Under and the heartland of Texas in Friday Night Lights. I'm going to be joined by my friend Mike today. I believe he'll have some very interesting things to say about both of these shows. And as usual, probably going to be talking about some things which may contain spoilers if I actually want to talk about the shows, which I hope that you guys actually want me to talk about the shows. And that's about it, really. Also, if you like the podcast, why not possibly recommend it to a friend who also likes podcasts and or television shows? Because that would help me out in my quest for becoming rich and famous off making podcasts. So I hope that this Mark Maron-esque intro hasn't been too blown out for you, but I guess you really only try and emulate and learn from the greats. So now on to the episode. I hope you like it. Um, if you haven't seen the shows before, I highly recommend watching them, and I hope that this has influenced you to watch them. So enjoy. All right, so we're going to be starting off today by talking about the Six Feet Under episode, The Room, from season one. I'd like to introduce Mike. How are you going? Yeah, good. Um, what do you think about the episode? Did you like it? Uh, yeah, I mean, when I watched it, I hadn't watched it in years, and um, really, I guess, just going back to it and reliving it again just made me realize uh, why I stuck with the show. <laughs> with, I guess, like, obviously the first few episodes aren't really, like... I mean, they're interesting, but it's yeah. more just like, I guess, something that you'd imagine your parents to enjoy watching. Or something. It's like, like a it's a grower. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like many, you know, great shows, which I do consider this to be a great show. It is undoubtedly Absolutely. a grower. Um, and I think, you know, people probably when it originally aired on HBO had their doubts about it. But yeah, I find that season one is something which, you know, takes a while to get off. But the payoff at the end of it is uh, is really good. So, anyway, I guess I should give a bit of a synopsis, if you will. This episode, um, if you've seen Six Feet Under, you probably know this, but it revolves around the Fisher family who run a funeral home in sunny Los Angeles. And the son, the oldest son of the family, Nate Fisher, played by Peter Krautz, he, um, he has to come home when his father dies, who is the head of the funeral home, in a car crash. And he basically has to come home and run the business and help out the family this episode details him learning about his father's life through tracking down some of the i guess you could say um some of the operations he was doing as the funeral uh owner and it leads him to find a room in which it turns out that his 
father basically traded funeral services to sublet a room which he could do whatever he wanted in. Um, yeah. Which, I, you know, I thought that it's great because, you know, this led to some of the great dream sequences within the show. Yeah, is, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's called The Room, so obviously the setup is around this room that he finds um, through seeing the little stars, the asterisks next to the... Um, yeah, yeah. The family names that have paid for things other than cash, so... Um, and also funny to learn other things, you know, like through his um, trading of a funeral for the marijuana with that with yeah. woman and... Um, I forget what the other one was. Oh, the... Um, in the mechanics when he gets the free yeah, oil right. change. Yeah, that was very funny. Yeah. Um... I don't know, like, I guess this show, this episode in particular, as, like, many of the episodes do, it highlights, I guess, anxieties about how we will be remembered when we die. And that's um, what sort of Nate's... Yeah, yeah. The secrets that we... Dealing with. The secrets that we keep um, up until the point of which we die and our paranoia about will they be exposed. Now, it's not necessarily the secrets that Nate's father... Um, did keep but it's what he imagines that his father did have because he never really knew his father and it's all about yeah just discovering like what his father was like and trying to piece together what you know trying to salvage I guess a relationship that he, nev- that he never had yeah absolutely um, but uh, yeah I mean like that that dream sequence like you said probably one of the, the highlights in, in it's that mad. it's absolutely great um, he smokes that, weed with bikies <laughs> yeah he hits the bong yeah, yeah hits the bong it, there's some sort of cool Lee Harvey Oswald imagined like sniper, yeah, the sniper sequence thing going postal that's yeah. very cool yeah I don't know, Six Feet Under for a show, and it's no coincidence that, um, because I think it was a season three artwork, reminds me a lot of the artwork of the still life photographer Gregory Crudson, who okay. does yep. some, um, you know, ridiculous, like, still life yep. portrayals of American realism. And I guess it shows this brewing sadness and unfulfillment in American life. And it's like a shadow that follows you everywhere. And I guess that's connected to your mortality. And I think that's one of the ongoing themes of In Six Feet Under. I mean, it's, you know, and I was talking in the intro about how it's connected to location and geography. And I think, you know, Los Angeles is one of the perfect, I guess, um, explorations of this. Because in this show, Los Angeles is portrayed as bright, sunny, uh, you know, clear blue skies, Lots of floral dresses, lots of colourful colours, but it's all really just a masquerade for the sadness in which these people hold deep down and mm. whatnot. Absolutely. I mean, um, I think there's a good example of that when, uh, what's his name, David is, you know, he's picked up that guy from the uh, very subtly named gay bar. Yes. And yes. Um, Little bit on the nose. Yeah. And uh, just, you know, takes him, goes back to his apartment and, and um, he says like, you know, he tells the lie that he's... Jim from Boston or whatever, yeah, lawyer, yeah. and the guy saying says, you know, thank God that you're not in the industry, like, yeah, you know, we're all, you know, basically saying that we're all unhappy and yeah, yeah, lying to each other and all, you know, it's not real life yeah. or whatever. It's no, yeah, it's no, like, it's nothing new, but I think it really does hit the nail on the head with this portrayal of Los Angeles as, you know, a place where, uh, I guess, your creativity, your soul, your mm. happiness is, you know, truly goes to die. And it's, you know, ironic because it's often in American um, culture, portrayals is portrayed as this, you know, frontiership, this new push towards having, you know, a new freedom in your life, a new creativity, a new idea. Mm. Um, you know, it's historical. It's entrenched to the idea of American exceptionalism, really. I think it's funny um, as well with the the, uh, the Fishers are like, you know, the uh, funeral directors and stuff and they live in LA that's so like, you know, bright and sunny. Yeah, and, like, yeah. It's meant to be some... Glamour, glamorous life 
It certainly and, um, is not. Yeah, it's just a funny juxtaposition with their family and um, just like, you know, going about their lives, even though they're all kind of pretty unhappy and yeah. there's like lots of darkness, I guess, around them. This um, is certainly a show of a lot of darkness. Yeah. One of the most striking parts for me about Six Feet Under was how much I always loved the cold opens. Now, if you haven't seen it, at the start of every episode basically shows the death of a, str- of a stranger, of an individual yep. who ends up being the the body that the Fisher family has to hold like the funeral for. Based, based the episode around. Yeah. Them, yeah. And they have some of the most imaginative, you know, creative mm, yeah, ways of, you know, essentially quite. killing off people. <laughs> but um, this one was actually quite boring. Um, well, it's probably, the, like, I guess in the first season, it's probably like the first of the episodes to have like a, a very like, I guess, plain death. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the focuses of this episode is around the, you know, the death in the opening sequence, which is of an old African-American couple who would be in their 70s or something, and yeah. the, you know, the wife quite tragically passes away in her sleep. Mm. And um, I guess, like, now that's not, you know, someone getting their head chewed up in a lawnmower or, no, you know, taking an LSD trip and, you know, falling <laughs> off a 10-feet building, which, you know, are things that have happened. Yeah. But sometimes the portrayal of death can be most striking and most painful and most hurtful when it is portrayed in its purest, most realistic form um, mm. when it hits at your emotional core. Would- and, yeah, Six Feet Under definitely hit the nail on the head with this one. And I thought, you know, um, the, yeah, the old man in this episode it's it's you know well, it sets it just really sets the, episode, the whole episode up from that point when you like see him like you know bickering with his wife yeah telling yeah. her about uh, yelling at, at her about the window and um it's sort of like you know like the whole episode is basically based around this character interacting with the other characters and them sort of like he's like exposing i guess their like um emotions and yeah you know because like he's so brutally honest and yeah yeah his, like an yeah. Ar- a bit of an his arsehole, wise ass humor is yeah. amazing um, it just sort of like sets the tone against uh, all the rest of the family. Yeah. Well, like he serves as creating a great juxtaposition to some of Nate's feelings about death and mortality in this episode and, you know, mm. setting him in, setting him straight that, you know, it's not as complicated as you're making it out to be death. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, and I think he, yeah, I mean, like the way that um, Mr. Jones, I guess, tells Nate right at the end, um, you know, says to him about, you know, you don't know nothing about love or whatever. Yeah. And that sort of, like, hits at home, I guess. Yeah, well, Six Feet Under deals in the absurdity and sensationalism of death through many sequences of fantasy mm. and whatnot. But sometimes I truly think it does, you know, it hurts the most when it's painfully realistic. And, you know, mm. something so relatable as the death of someone you've spent your whole life with and cared for and loved for, to just portray it without strokes of fantasy and just telling it for how it really is you know does quite hit at the core and i you know i think this show is you know obviously a bit of a heartstring puller and it's you know cripplingly depressing at times although it can be you know painfully uplifting but that's just a you know a tenet i think of a great tv show like this yeah it's something that just makes you feel the whole range of emotions i guess um can we talk about the introduction of two of the most painful characters throughout this series Nikolai the florist and Billy Brenda's brother. Yes. I mean, are. I don't know which one you want to start with, but um, I guess we can talk about um, Nikolai because you can talk about Ruth and um, how these two guys are. You know, she's like struggling to come to terms with um, the dad's death and yeah, or her husband's death. And yeah. Richard Jenkins, by the way, who is an amazing actor. Mm. You know, if he is not enough to draw you into this show, um, yeah. Just quickly, I mean, Richard Jenkins 
you know, he's he often comes in this show as, I guess, an imagination as the specter of his father's death yeah. and whatnot. He serves as a conduit or a vehicle for all of the characters' own self-loathing and their lack of self-worth and their anger about having a lack of closeness to their father or feeling anything for them. He's often, like, putting them down through fantasy. Yeah. And, I don't know, some of the most hilarious dream sequences, I guess, you could ever see. But it's telling about... He is used as a vehicle to try and, I guess, portray the unhappiness within each character where they're at with their own life. This is seen evidently a lot through Nate and David. Billy, Billy sucks. Oh yeah, definitely. He's not a good dude. And he's probably one of the most hated characters of the HBO, like the HBO dynasty. I think. I guess like a lot of characters in HBO shows, they have both good and bad traits, but I guess Billy's more of just like a pure, more villain character, I guess. He's a bad guy. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, I guess, what it really cuts at when we're talking about Nate's journey in this episode mm. and how he is trying to figure out what his father did in that room, whether he was, you know, cheating on his wife, whether yeah. he was just smoking his weed yeah. and whatnot. Nate is not, Nate is going down this path because it's not about the fact that the room exists. It's not about the mystery of the room. But it's because Nate realizes he never really knew his father and he really never knew anything about him. And that's the emotional crux of it, that he's trying to discover something that he lacked with his whole life and not knowing anything about it. I mean, I think um, at the bottom of it, Nate probably knows that it was just a room that his dad just went to sit by himself smoke weed and yeah. put on records and because like you see on the table he's like playing cards and it's it's not like poker or anything it's just solitaire so that's obviously something you play on your own yeah so it's more like he just sort of had this room that he just had away from you know the stress of life or whatever yeah and um i guess nate just trying to imagine like you know i guess that's like this the worries and stresses you know making you think all these crazy things when it was probably just the most you know safest boring sort of explanation absolutely yeah this you know this this particular episode brings up anxieties in me because Mm. it makes me super paranoid about my funeral when when i do die and you know uh all of the things coming together all Mm. of the different worlds colliding and whatnot it's terrifying to me yeah yeah Yeah. it's pretty scary yeah this is a terrifying show you know yeah it's, it's confronting yeah it's a very confronting show I like the duality between Nate and David uh, throughout this show, and particularly in this episode. I think, you know, Nate, I guess, is portrayed as the narcissist, the overthinker, the yeah. believer, yeah. the, you know, beat generation, Kerouacian, you yeah, know, yeah. moves to Seattle type, yeah. to discover himself, really likes Nirvana and likes to yeah, smoke yeah, a lot yeah. of weed. You know, uh, David portrayed as pragmatic, uh, dogmatic, sort of. you know, um, as a result of, you know, I guess not being comfortable with talking about his homosexuality to the world and whatnot, you yeah. know, is confined within the dogma of religion and lives a very buttoned down by the numbers life. And I think, yeah, the duality of those two characters has always um, interested me, intrigued me. I think like, you know, as far as like brothers on screen go, they are, you know, have two of the strongest dynamics, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the, I guess like it's a sort of a good, uh, I guess, foray into Nate's relationships with his family when he says that the only relationship David tells him the only relationship he had with his father was work and Nate says the same back to him you know and uh yeah I don't know really where I was going with that but yeah (laughs) um I don't know Ruth is always hilarious 
yeah, I always find definitely. like her stillness is just you know speaks I really, so much, I and really it's like... painful for her. But like she just com- you know puts all of her misery out so comedically. Yeah, and I also think um just the way that uh, she voices the actor is um great. Like yeah, it always gives me that um you know when you like listen to old people or something talk and yeah, you get yeah. that sort of like chill down your spine or whatever. Like you get that funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of get that when I listen to her. Yeah. I guess we should, you know, spend some time talking about Claire. Yeah. Claire's great. I mean, she think I think she does a good job in this episode, like, highlighting, um, like, I guess the immaturities in, like, Brenda yeah. and Nate and stuff yeah. that they're still, that yeah. they think they're, I guess, they've got a lot of growing up. Yeah, yeah. Them. She's got her journey. She's very young at this point in the series and whatnot. By the yeah. time it's over, you know, she's grown a lot. But these are, you know... I think she smoked meth or speed a few episodes before this. So, you know, she, you know, she's yeah. back to smoking weed now. So, you know, good for Claire at this point for, you know, toning it down a bit. Um, <laughs> you know, bit of a shit decision to be hanging out with Billy, though, because that guy is probably not good for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he's sort of... I guess she's still young and naive and just trying to show that and that she's... I guess that um, Brenda steps in to sort of reel yeah. her in and, like, be like a guess more of an adult figure for her yeah. is, is kind of nice yeah so where do you feel six feet under stands at this point because i feel like it's kind of a little bit forgotten or underrated at it's this definitely point. underrated and unappreciated i um, also think given it's alan ball and people can't stand true blood and you know that kind of tarted yeah. a bit even though i thought the first two series of true blood were kind of cool um yeah, i, never really I feel it. I feel like, yeah, this show has been kind of pushed to the wayside a bit. I guess also in, you know, the HBO, you know, uh, canon. Yeah, And I I don't know how that can be explained. I feel like this is the definitive show about death. Well, yeah. Uh, I guess, like, the main focus of death, yeah. Definitely the number one show. Um, It's weird that it's it's underappreciated, I guess, because I I guess the cast is, like, pretty pretty like uh pretty huge i guess yeah um but yeah like i mean i guess i the only reason i started watching it was because of like michael c hall and stuff yeah and, yeah and then like just sort of going back and and like seeing what other shows were on HBO. yeah but i guess if you weren't really like a real i guess the sopranos was on at the same time that may have had like you know a big influence yeah of... but i mean i guess people wouldn't i guess like you know more middle-aged people would still be watching something more like this I guess younger people wouldn't really yeah. sort of like you don't really look at it and yeah. like go think that's going to be really good. And did Mad Men overshadow this this show? They, is yeah. there no room in the conversation for Six Feet Under because of Mad Men? Because that could be it. You know, it's another show yeah. about you know fears about our mortality and where we're at with our lives and what we will never yeah, achieve. That's what true. So forth. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your Peter Kraus doesn't really compare to your John Hamm, I no, guess, in the no. long term. Um, as much as I do love you know Nate Fisher, I feel like yeah. his, you know his arc. His odyssey is, you know, enthralling and heartbreaking and awe-inspiring. I mean, like, well, I mean, you really end the argument with just watch the season finale, like the very, yeah. very last episode of Six Feet Under. And yeah, it's sort of, you know, beats almost any series finale yeah, I've seen on any just, show ever. It's the only one that's ever really left me satisfied, I guess, with yeah. like the ending of a show. Yeah. Well, what do you say? Let's take a break and let's uh, go down to Texas and talk <laughs> about some some panther football that's it all right so now we are going to step into dylan texas and talk about some panther football clear eyes full hearts can't lose we are talking about friday night lights one of my favorite shows ever 
a, you know, some people would think of it as a guilty pleasure, but I genuinely think it's great television. Um, we're going to talk about the season four episode called The Sun. Mike, what's your experience of Friday Night Lights? Um, always loved it. Um, I mean, watched it ages ago, but again, watching this episode just, you know, reiterated how much I had emotionally invested, I guess, in it. Yeah. Like, Make no mistake, this is a show that will make you cry. Yeah. And I did, you know, I cried the last time I watched it and I will cry again every time I watch this that episode because it yeah. is just a real heartbreaker. Get me every time. If you haven't seen the show, obviously it's about a high school football team set in a small Texan town called Dillon, um, based pretty much around the coach of this team, um, Coach Eric Taylor, who's one of the best on-screen dads on television ever. I yeah, think he might even be better than Sandy Cohen, but wow. the debate is always up there. I mean, he's definitely the more caricature, like, sort of stereotype. Yeah. You know, you look at him and you think dad, so, like... Yeah, absolutely. He's got look for sure. Um, this episode kind of comes at a transitional phase of Friday Night Lights. Halfway through, um, you know, whatever. If you're listening to this, you know the show. You don't care about spoilers. Yeah, but um, right. he basically ends up having to coach the team from the wrong side of the tracks in Dillon um, and not the pride sort of uh, Ivy school of Dillon in football terms, I guess, who are, you know, an underfunded, poor part of town and whatnot. And there's like a lot of racial disparity in this. Um, and this is one of my favorite parts of the series, I think, transitioning into this new team because I feel like, you know, it creates a much more interesting story, I guess. Um, if football is seen as a magnet or a drawing point and a rallying point for how community comes together. This part of the show actually shows how not everyone always fits in and this pit, this picture-perfect idea of football being this something that is for everyone when in pure terms of economics, it might actually yeah. not be for everyone. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's like those pretty heavy scenes when you see Vince go and get his mom and his passed yeah. out in the sort of like in the yeah Vince area and who is played by the wonderful Michael B. Jordan who yeah. you might know as Wallace from The Wire definitely brings um, up sort yeah, of similarities he, there <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah I've got like a bit of a conspiracy theory that you know uh, if Wallace you know did not up. if Wallace Wallace did not leave the wire in the way that the show portrayed it, but he actually went into witness protection and That's ended it. up in Dylan playing football. Because at the start of his, uh, pro, I guess his his arc in that, he's very similar to Wallace in many oh, ways. Oh, absolutely. He's got the junkie mum, like yeah, you know, poor, struggling, looking to life of crime to survive yeah. and stuff. Yeah, I mean, like you know, at this part in the series, which you never really did before, it talks about like I guess the class and racial you know disparity within Dylan, which you know was something that. In this show prior to this, you wouldn't have thought would exist because everyone was, you know, a, yeah, a white, happy exactly. Texan. You didn't you know, see anything else like a Yeah, everyone is Tim Riggins in this show yeah, and exactly. whatnot, you know. Um, but yeah, his, I guess, arc in this episode is about him having to learn his own self-worth and the fact that he might even possibly have to be a role model for younger kids um, who, you know, would looked up to him as, you know, an African-American youth who is you know, um, basically breaking the cycle through football. And it's yeah. a very inspiring to see stuff like that in this episode, at least. Mm. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I Vince is one of the best characters in Friday Night Lights. And I think that, you know, the second half of the series gets, un, you know, left underrated next to the first half and whatnot. But, you know, I, you know, have nothing but high things to say about him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I basically disagree with pretty much what you said. So Yeah. Um, but... I was gonna say, yeah. I mean, like the probably the best moment is when you see Vince um 
tell the kids like yeah <laughs> it's a really tender moment stay cool He's, yeah. stay focused get paid <laughs> yeah he um he has to go to basically i guess like a community center to talk to some kids about what it's like to be a high school footballer and whatnot and you know He's never had to live up to those type of things before. He's ha- he's never had those type of, I guess, opportunities to be seen as a role model because he grew up around drugs and poverty and whatnot. And it's, you know, yeah. it's a very tender, inspiring moment to see, you know, I guess the hope awaken in his eyes through, you know, the the smiles of, you know, when young kids, kids who just want to be like him. A high five and stuff and he gets real, like, stoked on it. And yeah. you realise, like, maybe, well, I guess he's got to do the crime to but that's get by, but... <laughs> That's to say that this is a happy episode. This is, you know, probably the saddest episode of Friday Night Lights seen through. Well, it's that that's a small little yeah. smile in a yeah, lot of pain. Yeah, it's this is the the main story in this episode is about I guess you know probably my favorite character in the show, Matt Saracen, yeah. who you know is um you know the boy wonder quarterback who you know um never thought he would be and whatnot you know he's not the coolest guy in school but ends up you know having to carry the weight of the team and like learning to be you know a hero in that team at the same time um he like the first episode is dealing like sorry like the first um episode we talked about six feet under is dealing with the grief of learning about the death of his father who was in iraq veteran and uh died during service overseas and it's about I guess him having to learn the consequences of also not knowing his father and having to deal with his emotions surrounding that. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, I guess the main thing, like, sort of theme in the episode is uh, Matt learning about himself and why he's the way he is because you've always seen life throw so much shit at him. Yeah, yeah. And he goes through so much and he's always, like, polite and well-spoken, well-behaved and, like, sort of like the good boy. Yeah. Um, And then you sort of really, when he sort of breaks down and realizes maybe he's doing this just because you know he's always been let down by his father and yeah absolutely he doesn't want to put anyone else in that sort of pain yeah um i mean there's just so many scenes which is so realistic in this and this is not particularly a show that i can relate to in terms of like no, you know what i imagine life is like i have not had the experience of living in a small texan football town yeah. but just the scenes of like wake scenes and whatnot on how you're meant to deal with death, how you're meant to act when death surrounds you. Like, and I, yeah. it's, it's so relatable to have no idea whatsoever, even when you think about it and know about it, you, when it hits you, you don't know what to do. Um, you know, Matt has to deal with the, the, his trauma. He's feeling blocked out because the world is telling him how to feel and how to exercise his social anxieties, but he's not doing it in a cathartic way for the most of the episode. No, not at all. Like, I mean, you just see him sort of like, I guess soaking it all up and just getting angry, but keeping it quiet into himself. And then yeah. when, when he finally... Yeah, I mean, you know, he ends up, you know, having to deal with it through alcoholism, which I don't think is a judgmental thing at all. I think, you know, this show does not judge people. And it shows that, you know, emotions are complex. And sometimes, you know, you need to get, you know, you don't need to, but, you know, it is... Um, it's helpful, yes. <laughs> you know, some people are going to get very drunk and, you know, do things to themselves when they have to deal with death and whatnot. And it's not judgmental. It's just we all exercise our demons in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, like when you see Matt go, you know, I mean, the consequences of him drinking and going to the funeral parlor and yeah, seeing, you know, making the guy open the casket and seeing his father or what yeah, remains yeah. of him is like so heavy. And then 
oh, I yeah. guess like sort of making see him seeing that and it's sort of becoming his dad's death becoming real for him and then he can finally start sort of I guess letting it go in yeah more you know I mean, cathartic yeah. ways I guess <laughs> yeah this episode has you know one of the all time most I guess tear jerking funeral scenes ever with Matt having to basically bury his own father and whatnot, which mm. he, you know the final farewell saying fuck you and yeah. putting it all to rest I guess yeah I think you know he realizes that his hatred for his father is cathartic to the creation of Saracen's own character as a nice guy. Exactly. He puts all of his anxieties, his fears, his emotions into disliking his father and mm. whatnot when he realizes that, wait, maybe it's just me. Maybe yeah. it's just me I don't, I don't like. And, you know, this idea of my father ran away from me and whatnot and, you know, the world's been a burden to me. Maybe that's just been a mask or a disguise for some of the true sadness that he feels within himself. Which, you know, is relatable, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Not even through death, but, you know, in life we do these things. You know, we compound all of our, um, what we view will be, you know, the negatives within our lives. And, you know, one day we come to a shocking realization that they actually weren't even there to begin with, you know? Yeah. Um, and also, um, I guess the way that he deals with the eulogy um, yeah. really sort of cements that point that he is just going to continue like being a nice guy as of like a virtue i guess and yeah like the like uh, in remembrance of his father i guess yeah. but by you know well, saying that sort of funny story like yeah. even though he didn't think that he was funny and didn't know that he was funny and all the marine buddies thought that he was funny he you know, tells yeah this sort of he's weird. able to come to you know the conclusion i think that he may despise his father he may hate his father but sometimes it's the small things like him making him laugh once or twice in his life or, you know, even the big things like bringing, you know, putting food on the table and, you yeah, know, exactly. whatnot, bringing him into this world yep. is enough to find some solace in finding a little bit of the good things to, you know, just yeah. put a bit of light in all of the darkness and whatnot. Um, can we talk about Tim Riggins? Because Tim Riggins is, you know, he's old time. And I've had to deal with Tim Riggins in a show called True Detective lately. Oh, absolutely. And it is not the True Detective. Uh, sorry, it is not the Tim Riggins that I love and know. No, no. It's a very different character. Texas Forever. Nothing will ever beat that guy sitting on a deck chair, drinking a beer, contemplating life. That's it. Like, you know, it's that classic is classic Americano. Like. He's, he's just the everyman's philosopher. Yeah. You know, I think there's a point in this episode... Where, you know, he ever he says to Becky, who, you know, they have a great on-screen friendship and yep. whatnot, you know, she's a lovely character. They're great together as two people who, you know, are able to bounce their emotions off mm. one another. Well, I'm just glad that it didn't end up in some sort of, like, romance. Yeah, that would have been cheap. Yeah. You know, it, their friendship means so much more, yeah. like, and whatnot. And, you know, um, Tim Riggins does some bad things throughout this show. And, you know, he is a man... I guess, with the weight of the world on his shoulders. Absolutely. But, you know, it's good to see as somewhat of a moral code. Um, yeah, Becky is quite young and in high school. Tim Riggins is, you know, a burnt out, you know, yeah, uh, ex-high school alcoholic <laughs> dude yeah. at this point. Um, but, yeah, he says, you know, you ever just feel completely useless <laughs> and whatnot. And it is just the crux of the Tim Riggins simpleness, but his philosophy, you know, speaking yeah, volumes definitely. for the whole town, I think. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's definitely, yeah, everyone's trying to make Matt feel better and obviously you can't really do that, but, um, and well, obviously definitely nothing you say yeah. can make you, someone feel better about that sort of thing. But yeah. uh, definitely that last scene with um, Coach 
just offering to walk him home and not having to really say anything yeah, is yeah. definitely a, a quintessential moment when Matt can, I guess, finally start to yeah accept, you know. I think, I don't know, This obviously this show is about how football is used as a magnet for how community comes together and how community can also be disbanded and how community can care and love and laugh together and whatnot. But I also think, you know, Coach Taylor is seen as the symbol of that community. You know, Absolutely, people rally yeah. around him and his the weight of that man in this show is just, you know, it's all inspiring, I think. Mm. Yeah. yeah, he's. I mean, he's a great character and, uh, you know, him having a moment yeah. in the locker rooms, yeah. even though, like, they lost and went against him and didn't really want to... Yeah. They still, he still, you know, says you have nothing to be ashamed yeah. of, and he's always sort of, I guess, the that really stereotypical, yeah. he, like heroic dad. Oh yeah, stoic. Day. You know, yeah. This show has great stoic characters. Coach mm. Taylor, Matt Saracen. You know, yeah. sto- show does stoicism like no other show on television. Um, yeah, Coach Taylor's great in everything he does as well. Bloodlines <laughs> is great. I've never watched that actually. It's a it's a Netflix show. It's okay. like kind of like a Floridian noir murder mystery family okay. mystery. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Also very cool in The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. That boat definitely. scene with yeah, Leo. Yeah. Amazing. Really good. Yeah. Really funny. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, there are things to draw these two shows together. We've talked about Six Feet Under and Friday Night Lights. I mean, obviously, you know, death and dealing with grief is a common stroke yeah, within these shows. Death and family, I'd say. Yeah, like yeah. family and how families react to grief. Yeah. Every week you see on... Six feet under a different yeah. sort of family reacting in a different way and and uh well I guess you don't see as many deaths in Friday Night Lights. No. No. Certainly some episodes that highlight similar similarities and obviously the the one between these two is um Nate burying his yeah. father and um and Matt burying his father. Yeah. I think that, you know, it's also it says a lot about in dealing with grief, we may start to realise that we never knew that much about a person. And we had imagined ideas about that person. And sometimes when it comes to that breaking point, we realize it might have all been a lie or we might have all, it might have been right the whole time or we might learn something about ourselves through this. And, you know, I think that, yeah. Both this characters a, definitely learn, definitely learn about themselves, I guess, through through the death of their father. And yeah. um, I guess like the main, the main one is like definitely the, the real and imagined uh, sort of portrayals and like what they thought of their fathers yeah and i mean the, the great scene in six feet under with the yeah him doing all the different things with the different people even though it was probably just him sitting in the room alone and obviously everyone painting matt's father a hero even though yeah. he never sort of knew his family and didn't really stick around for for matt yeah. i mean these are you know obviously two shows completely irrespective of one another so mm. this you know point doesn't really say much about either show because they both portray community and locality in two different um ways two very different ways but yeah. you know yeah. i like how in los angeles it is you know like most you know obvious um portrayals of los angeles it is portrayed that there is no sense of community there is complete isolation yeah. um honestly like you know some of the scenes in the light and in the sun remind me of requiem for a dream or something in six yeah, feet under yeah. like it is this you know imagined happiness with you know sadness Mm. all around you and whatnot and in juxtaposition to that with friday night lights i like you know 
I like the sappy sense of community yeah. in the small Very Texan town. Yeah, I like friendly, that idea. Green yeah. grass and white picket fence. Yeah, yeah, I mean, people, I think, for some reason, have the idea that this is a bit of a Bible-belting show. Oh, really? Yeah, which, you know, I never really got. Um, Not at all. Religion is something which is in it, but it's only a realistic portrayal of, like, you know, a southern exactly Texan town. A town like that. And whatnot. Like that but it yeah. is in no way ever... Um, you know, within there's no theology within the theme of the show, Not I guess. Really, no. Um, which you know, yeah, I don't know. How do you convince people to get into Friday Night Lights as being more than just you know a, a network, a network teen show about football? Because yeah. I feel like that that's the thing that people won't, you know, yeah. I mean, like, I guess most people ex- came to watch the show expecting that, and um, when you really sit down and watch it, anyone who I mean, football's you know you don't have to know a thing about it to really enjoy the show like yeah. the themes it explores and stuff is is really irrespective of the like you know sport i mean like the sport culture obviously is what it's based on but yeah it's definitely a lot more than that it just does the experience of community and youth and growing very well it's not overly you know hyper intellectualized in the no, way that some other shows about rites of passage are but that sometimes it's just good to watch, sit down and watch something that's not yeah. you know trying to be really Absolutely. aware of itself and just sort of trying to be fun and yeah and like and a good honest representation i guess i guess this would be a common thing throughout this podcast but in an era where you know the great shows have been highlighted by having anti-heroes mm, and difficult men yeah. and you know your don drapers your you know tony like sopranos you end up liking anyway. yeah 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 this show has pure people than yeah. even the bad guys you kind of like because it shows tenderness to them. Well, it's realistic. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, you know, even though I guess it's not, we couldn't relate to it. It's, you definitely see that it's not, you know, a made up sort of fantasy. Yeah. I'm invested in television most of, not most of all, but one of the strong currencies I need is a bit of tenderness in the portrayal of the human experience. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, Friday Night Lights is something which does this better than most shows. So, Mike, do you have any final words on anything about these shows? Um, this is when anything. Uh, not really, man. I think we sort of cleaned it all up. It's just two uh, two episodes about two boys and their fa- burying their fathers, and yeah, you get to sort of, I guess, I guess they both wrap up pretty nicely. Yeah, I think so. Um, in like more cathartic ways for yeah. both, for both of Nate and Matt. Um, you know, Nate cleaning the room and yeah, yeah, um, giving them photos of Ruth back to her and yeah you know, yeah that seems of, very touching yeah nice sort of moments there and then yeah Matt just you know burying his dad and sort of you know releasing his anger through yeah hard labor and you know making his hands bleed yeah he just has that that moment of freedom I guess from that you know that torment on his shoulders yeah and yeah it makes you cry but it also you know makes you happy that 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 monkey's off his back for mm. now at least absolutely yeah yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on this. I Easy, hope man. you've enjoyed it. Yeah, man. It's yeah. been a lot of fun. Thanks and, um, for having me. Yeah, I hope we haven't bummed you out, listeners, too much by getting two a bit very serious. De- two very depressing shows. And yeah, but, you two know... Two very depressing episodes. I television guess. is about the power in things and about the emotion in things and about, mm. you know, the way that emotions can hit you and relate it to your own life by watching it. And I found that, you know, I've been able to vent through these television shows some of my anxieties about death and whatnot and, you know, uh, feelings about family and whatnot. And, you know, uh, yeah, both very powerful shows. And sometimes it's necessary to, you know, go down the dark side, I guess. That's why they feel so real, I guess. Yeah. Because they're both 
very, yeah, two very honest shows that make you feel a lot of emotions. Exactly. Honest. Honesty is the word to close on. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, man.